cliffcentral.com. Okay, let's get on to some other things. We've got plenty to discuss this morning, and uh, the things we have to discuss are fortunately uh, presented to us by someone who actually knows what the hell he's talking about. J.J. Cornish is back to give us the latest news on Africa with some smart and wry analysis. It's part of a new feature that we've launched. We only did one before this, and you can go and listen to that. It's still on cliffcentral.com for your listening pleasure. It's called African Analysis, and J.J. Cornish will be here in a bi-monthly feature, which is brought to you by the Johannesburg Business School. And you can find out more by going to cliffcentral.com and finding this feature, the Joburg Business School, doing some really interesting work. And they're, of course, involved across the continent and um, are attracting students from across the continent. Now, with each feature, we'll look right into what is breaking on the continent in terms of news as seen through JJ's eyes. And let's get straight into it. JJ Cornish, how are you, sir? I'm immensely well, thank you. You don't have COVID like Donald Trump, I hope. I don't, but I will, I'm prepared to stand on my balcony and remove my mask like El Duce, if that's <laughs> uh, going to persuade him. Well, who's he going to infect from his balcony? I mean, let's not be ridiculous. I don't know. Do you, you know, the, the thing about it, I told you last week, I'm reading or have just read uh, The Plague, Albert Camus' book. Yes. On uh, the bubonic plague in uh, Oran, in the second city of Algeria. And, you know, the best line from that book is that stupidity mm-hmm. has a way or has a knack of getting its way. And we're seeing that, aren't we, in this COVID thing? The way the way people are overreacting, the way Donald Trump himself believes that he is immune. Uh, well, he certainly has shown that he does, has no regard for anybody else yeah. but his own, uh, himself and his chances of being reelected. But it really is. It's quite amazing to see how, how badly he can behave. And, and the, the way the press is overreacting is, you know, they, it's just no as wonder the childish. Are, 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 eyes are glazing over at it. Huh? Well, I, I can't wait. I don't know about you. I can't wait for the election just because I want it to be over and for everything to just move a little bit away from American politics because I love it. But even I am up to the brim with with American politics at the moment, and I just can't take it anymore. I know Donald Trump is a is remorseless in terms of his attention seeking, but there are actually stories that we need to be paying attention to that we're not even here at home. Um, so let's get into Africa. Let's just talk quickly yeah, about yeah. about Kenya and Angola and Zambia, because all three of these countries are in some trouble because they owe huge amounts of money to China, right? Yes, Kenya has this four and a half or more $4.7 billion uh, special gauge railway taking stuff out of the port of Mombasa. But that has been losing money. Three years ago, it was built uh, with Chinese money, but that's been losing money every single month. Mm. Now, Kenya's parliament wants to renegotiate the loan terms and, uh, with, and, and slash the costs. They want, uh, you know, 50% of this is Africa Star Railway, and it's costing them, uh, the Chinese Road and Bridge Corporation is charging them $10 million a month to run this railway. <laughs> they could be the first first African country to, to, to default on a loan to China. You know, if we believe COVID figures from John Hopkins University, mm-hmm. then the uh, China uh, Africa owes $143 billion to China. Sure. And that's 20% of all African government external debt. China's the largest single creditor to sub-Sahara Africa. 
So, I mean, you know, th- there's a lot of people talking about uh, neo-colonialism. When you speak to the Chinese, they say it's interesting. The only people who talk call us neo-colonialists are, are the actual colonialists themselves. You know, they could they could understand colonialism a lot better than us. No wonder they call it that. Yeah. But uh, Angola, uh, Sub-Sahara Africa's largest oil producer or second largest, sometimes when Nigeria falls short, it becomes the largest. Mm-hmm. They are $20 billion in debt to uh, China. And uh, they've got to pay $2.7 billion back this year. Uh, and and they, they've asked, they've got some debt payment from uh the EU, but it's it's becoming you know it's becoming excessively burdensome to them, uh, and then Zambia, of course, is embroiled in a three billion dollar delay in in payments, and uh, they're saying no, they can't pay right now, and they're another country that could fall into default. They owe China ten billion dollars. So these three countries are just three of them, but I'm sure that there are others that also have, uh, you know, maybe slightly less debt. It's kind of a frightening thing to think about how much China has these people by the balls. It really is. And, you know, China lends money, doesn't have any kind of humanitarian or or, uh, considerations. They'll lend to anybody. Mm. They've lent us money. They've lent a lot of money to uh, Zimbabwe, Mm. to countries around. And and, and it doesn't matter about human rights records. doesn't matter about the kind of standards that the World Bank and uh, international uh, money organization uh, applies or other governments apply. Uh, you know, other governments have withdrawn aid because of, uh, we're talking about United States withdrawing some aid to Ethiopia in a minute, but uh, uh, other countries have withdrawn aid because of uh, human rights and because of uh, gay rights and because of other things. China won't do this. They keep lending money, and the thing is, the countries are getting increasingly into hock with China, right. and it's a dangerous thing. But well, where would these countries get the money otherwise? Absolutely, but also China understands it's it's perverse, but China has learned that uh, capitalism can be its best friend if it becomes the banker, and we all know who pays the piper. All these African governments are effectively making themselves uh, proxies for China, Chinese interests and for resources to go straight on. The reason that they're investing in infrastructure is so they can take the resources straight out. We know that this continent is... Filled, Actually, with, filled with mineral uh, resources and, and oil and, and uh, coal and all kinds of things that China needs, so they're just taking it away. Absolutely. China talks about mutually beneficial relationships, and that's, you know, that's how it started <laughs> with the Tanzam railway line and so on, but it's developed into the fact that, you know, I mean, I don't have a mutually beneficial uh, relationship with my bank manager. I just put on my suit with a with the knee pads when I go around to try and increase my overdraft uh, and and hope that when I fall to my knees I can retain a, a semblance of dignity yeah absolutely all right so tell me about this um I'm always interested in this mostly because I've I've been a fan of of you know Egyptology and ancient Egypt for the longest time I know that they when they built the Aswan dam all those years ago they had to move Abu Simbel the great temple of Abu Simbel so that they could build this dam because the Nile which is you know the biggest river in the world. Uh, the the Nile is, or well, certainly in Africa, is is the source of of all of um, Egypt's agricultural land, and not just Egypt, but even the countries further up the Nile. You know, Sudan and and Ethiopia and and parts of 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 even um, you know the basin where where it originates in Rwanda and. Burundi and those areas. So the Nile River is a massively controversial thing, and there have been 
uh, fights throughout history about what to do with the Nile. They're going to build this Blue Nile Dam, which is, I think it's an argument between Sudan and Egypt, but you can correct me where, where I'm wrong here, JJ. This is, again, a source of some controversy. Huge. And, and Gareth, my prediction is that this will be the biggest African story by a long way. Uh, uh, once Corona subsides and Corona, of course, is not the big story in Africa that everybody feared it might That's be. That's right. This is a four comma eight billion dollar project and it was started in 2011. Now it's nearly finished. In fact, you know, the, the dam has started filling with the rainy season and it has five billion cubic meters of water in it already. It's Oof. gone to the height of the second turbines and it will start producing electricity to the to 68 million Ethiopians within a year. Now, what has happened, there was a deal, and the deals signed on the Nile were with colonial Britain, and they involved Sudan, and they involved Egypt, but they didn't involve Ethiopia. So Ethiopia comes along and says, well, we've got the Nile, Blue Nile, that is, that comes together with the White Nile in Khartoum in Sudan. Mm -hmm. We've got the Nile running here. We need, we are uh, electricity poor. We will become, this is the largest hydroelectrical project on the continent. So we're going to build it. And they've started. And uh, the Riparian countries, the countries on the banks down the Nile, Sudan and Egypt, are incensed. Now, in Sudan's case, they do say that it will help some of the flooding. And Sudan is currently experiencing enormous amounts of flooding because of the rainy season. But Ethiopia said we the dam will start filling up, and it's going to take about five more years with this rainy season. At the end of the day, there'll be uh, something like a, a, a hundred million, a thousand million uh, cubic meters. These now, numbers are know, extraordinary. You, These numbers are just absolutely huge. A thousand cubic meters per person is what is needed for agriculture. Right. And, and Egypt has about half of that at the moment. And you said a hundred, they all their water. In fact, you were wrong. It's not, it's only, it's only 92% of their water. But, uh, right. sorry to, sorry to pick you up. I don't mean to sound no, pedantic. Right. Where do they get the other, know, where, where's the other 8% from? Is, is that like desalination or something? No, I, I think that's a lot of the, the droplets of water when people speak to one another. <laughs> no, it is probably, probably some desalination. All right. and, and, you know, I mean, Egypt, Egypt, when you say you're an Egyptologist, you know, he's the biggest Egyptologist, Who? the current incumbent of the White House, and not only Donald Trump, but his predecessors. They give more money, United States, to Egypt than to the rest of Africa combined. Wow. So... Not, not surprisingly, Egypt, one of the first people they went to was the United States saying, whoa, look at this. You know, they're going to, they're going to drive us into, in, turn, to turn our country into desert. And the United States has withdrawn some of its aid to Ethiopia as a result. And Ethiopia is saying, you know, we've been allies since 1911. Are you going to spoil this relationship because mm. of this? As I say, you can see the story developing. We've, they've gone to the Arab League. They've gone to the United Nations Security Council, where Egypt currently supposes that Cyril Ramaphosa, who is the chairman of the uh, council or is chairman of the of, of the, the AU, AU. Yeah. and 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 had the chairmanship of the uh, the council for one month, uh, actually uh, is biased in favour of Ethiopia. I don't believe that to be the case. But uh, the countries like. Um, China and Russia that could block a resolution, they too worry about 
people are accessing rivers that flow into their countries. So you can just imagine. I mean, this is lifeblood we're talking about. No wonder yeah. it's it's going to be such a massive story. The latest development is Ethiopia saying no more flights over the dam for security reasons. So I don't know if you try to fly over the dam, whether you're going to be shot down. I, I don't wow. have my hang glider ready to go and give it a try, but, uh, well. you know. If you're flying in a hang glider and wearing a face mask, would they shoot you down? Ask the question. Eh? <laughs> Just finally, because this is a story that it feels like 100 years ago, but the Kenya mall attack, um, they finally, and the justice wheels do turn slowly. We know this. I just mentioned that in another story a few minutes ago. But um, the, the mall attack in Kenya, obviously, they're expecting these verdicts on Tuesday. Now, this is a very big story, and, and we want to know what happens because this is Al-Shabaab, right? Uh, these are the. It really is, you yeah. know. Al Shabaab and IS, the two of them, are all over Africa. You know, 11, there's been an 11 fold increase in attacks uh, by, uh, by the jihadis, the extremists, Muslim extremists, all over Africa. Mm. We're experiencing it next door in Mozambique, where Mosimbao de Pride, the town, has been held for a month. The head of Total yesterday called on the European Union to help out. They're calling on South Africa to help out in Mozambique. We can't do it militarily. But now the Africans are saying, well, what are you calling on the Europeans for when we should have African solution to African problems? Yeah. Well, African boots on the ground isn't going to cure that one. In Somalia, where they kicked IS out and, and Al-Shabaab out of the towns, but it can come back at any time it wishes to with indiscriminate acts of terror. In Mali, where they had the coup in 2012, these jihadis are still there. The French had to drive them out, but that G5 of Niger, Burkina Faso, Chad, and Mauritania with Mali are getting money to try and fight the jihadis. It's, it's just they are on the ascendancy, and what they have shown in Kenya – uh, is is that mall attacks, that four-day siege that killed 71 people. It's, 30, it's seven years ago. They will have the verdicts today. Probably Kenya is still in, in a state of turmoil. Just two days ago, they had clashes between supporters of Uhura Kenyatta and William Ruto, the president and the vice president. Wow. And there's uh, elections there in two, in two years' time. Is William Ruto going to become the next president. Uhura Kenyatta doesn't want that to happen, neither do his supporters. So this is all instability around Africa that the jihadis are capitalizing on, and they're doing that very much in terms of the fight against corona. They are they are taking full advantage of that as well. JJ Mbulelo um, here. A any news on the extradition of uh, the White Widow in and around that? No, 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 I, I, I haven't re read up on on that in in the in the last little while, but no, I don't think Ubalela. There's been there certainly hasn't been any later later development on that. Yeah, I've I've sort of had forgotten about her. I'm I'm pleased you brought her up, Ubalela, because she was a very controversial figure at a time, and uh, we've sort of lost interest in her, even though she was supposed to have been one of the main actors in this drama. Well, JJ, I'm uh, I'm sorry that's all we have time for this week, but we will catch up with you again very soon. And thank you for keeping us up to date with what's going on on our continent, JJ Cornish. And African Analysis brought to you by the Johannesburg Business School. You can find all of these podcasts on cliffcentral.com. Cliffcentral.com.